Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, you are listening to Ultra Life, the show about business and lifestyle. We are very excited to have our special guest with us today, Dr. Jeff McGee. Dr. Jeff McGee is an author, leadership and marketing strategist, performance achievement coach, speaker, human capital developer, has a PhD in organizational psychology, and he's he's got so many things I can't say them all. <laughs> Jeff, can you hear us? I can hear you great. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity to be on here with you and your listeners. Great. Well, thank you very much for being on. Jeff, why why have you done so many things? If you don't mind me just jumping right to it, why you've done so many things? What is it that uh, is about you that makes you so driven? Great question. I think as a lot of your listeners may be also reflecting, I think as we just grow through life, we have lots of opportunities, and sometimes uh, we think we're on a perfect trajectory, and we get knocked off of that because of a life problem, a job problem, an economic problem, and, and it's really kind of how you deal with those challenges when they take place. A lot of times you, I, others are in scramble mode when there's a conflict or a problem. You know, we may lose our job, downsizing, what have you. But it's how we handle that and the choices we make through those situations that really make for who we are. And then that starts to speak to your question about doing. I think you know, once you have clarity of what you're passionate about and you have the mental DNA to back up that passion, then it's very easy to be involved in lots of things. And you may not even realize it. Others looking in at you, just as you made that observation about me, it seems like you know, I'm doing lots of things. But if all the things I'm doing are congruent they're in alignment with my trajectory, what I'm all about in terms of my profession, my passion, my certifications, my degrees, my trade, then uh, a lot of times those things are all in harmony. You know, we do a magazine, we do a blog, we do an article, we do a radio show. You know, I do training programs. I work with CEOs of businesses, political leaders, military generals. Well, if all that is in alignment to the one thing I'm doing, which is all about human capital development, then I don't see it as doing a lot. Others do. Great. Yeah, I've noticed that also with myself. It was kind of a, a uh, somewhat selfish question, but I get uh, I get that view a lot of the time, but it all kind of goes together congruently, and it uh, it really just kind of builds your uh, exposure, your awareness, your own education, and it makes a difference for other people. Um, Absolutely, what it's is kind of like it's it's. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. So, you know, a lot of it really is, you know, just as we look at products in the marketplace, whether they're tangible or intangible, whether they're in, you know, your live marketplace where you are or whether it's through the virtual world and the Internet, and we talk about branding of other products and, 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 and deliverables, it really is all about brand you. You know, how do you position yourself? What do you want to be known for? You know, why do you do the things you do and how do you back those up? Uh, again, some of that comes from our culture, how we were raised, you know, our parenting whether you had good parents or bad parents, whether you had a you know, great upbringing or a crappy, doesn't matter. You know, if you have the, the presence of mind and you are an adult and you can make an independent decision, then you really are at that point where there's a line in the ground and you have to step across it and quit using excuses. Um, I think we do live in a world today that's very fashionable to use excuses. I think we also live in a world today that's very fashionable that instead of uh, taking personal accountability and quit bitching, it's always easier to point a finger and whine and cry about something else 
um, you know, as we're recording this air show, we're in, you know, the heat of a presidential campaign in the United States, and it doesn't matter what your political views are, it really is amazing to see the level of stupidity in adults as to who they support and why they support that person. It, it is amazing. It's, it reminds me of high school science. You know, you had that lab where you had that live frog, and you put them in a boiling, you put them in, excuse me, a pan of tepid water, and slowly turn the temperature up, you know, you cook and kill the frog. It doesn't realize it's killing itself. Versus you put a live frog in, you know, boiling water, it's going to jump right out. And it, it amazes me, you know, how many complacent, sheeple, ignorant people there are in the world that will dive for their emotional convictions instead of stand up and do what's right. And that's the world we live in. So, again, back to doing a lot. People that are successful are focused. They have a goal. They have a trajectory. It's like what I talk about in my book, Trajectory Code. And, and they're doing a lot of things simultaneously that parallel getting them to their destination. Well, well, I, you know, you said a lot of the things I've been thinking. Um, what, uh, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, and sometimes when I speak about it, uh, a lot of people will think that I'm, I'm the misguided one. Why am I not uh, arguing about somebody's side or, you know, playing, I mean, you mentioned sheep in there, but playing with the, the mass of people that are doing the same thing. It's just, it, it has kind of boggled my mind how people have become so complacent. Um, what is it, what is it, you mentioned all this, how does that, like uh, your, your, you know, your opinion, how you feel about it, how, what is it that you're doing in the world to maybe make a difference for people so that they, they can see a difference. Great question. You know, kind of the one of the ways I look at it, uh, it's kind of the religion according to Jeff. My religion says that, you know, we were not put on this planet to be uh, takers. We were put on this planet to be contributors. And every day you should try to contribute something meaningful to the planet that can help other people to help themselves move forward. And if you cannot contribute something meaningful to the planet, then basically you should be asked to step off the planet. And I say that with a lot of energy and vigor because that's exactly how I feel. I mean, People that knowingly violate the law, escalate their problem in the face of law enforcement, do not respond to law enforcement telling them what to do, and they end up getting themselves hurt or killed. While it's sad that they're now gone, I don't really lose any breath over them because they're stupid. They brought it on themselves. End of conversation. It just saved you and I as taxpayers hundreds of thousands of dollars through the legal process, incarceration, etc. Put that money to help some kid that really wants to make themselves better. In, invest that in your community to make your parks better. Okay, so I use that highly emotional example because I'm sure I've just pissed off a couple of listeners right now, which if we have is perfect because if they're pissed off, that means they lose, I win. What's the little case study I just ran before your ears? We live in a world where people know how to hit your emotional buttons. They hit your emotional buttons. You're no longer focused. You're no longer listening because you've been distracted. You're talking about them under your breath, and you went off on a polar opposite end. And that's why we have so many disconnected people because everyone is emotionally attacking each other vis-a-vis the example I just tried to use very quickly to illustrate the point on the radio versus saying what really does matter. You know, if we want to clean up a community, it starts with how we raise someone from zero to age five. That's the first developmental chapter in a person's psychology of life is from birth until when they start interacting with other kids on a regular formal basis. Let's call it kindergarten. The second chapter is all formal education, K-12, K-16. Those two chapters calibrate a person for pretty much who they're going to be the rest of their life. 
So if we take any community, whether it's in Africa or downtown Chicago, they both have the same similarities. The environment is not conducive to raise a, a basically a quality human being. Schools suck, communities suck, churches suck, parents suck, everything sucks. It does. So if we want to change it, quit voting for the same people you keep voting for. But we do. We keep voting for the same ones because we say, oh, my political party is great and yours is bad. Really? It's your political party that basically has put you where you've been for 25 years. Do you want to try that sentence again? But you can't rationalize with someone who doesn't, does not have the intellectual capacity to process how to look at facts. Journalisms don't give facts. Schools don't give facts. We stopped teaching in the 80s people how to have a brain. And that's the problem in our society. So why we have so many disengaged people, I've now given you two reasons. We live in an emotional world of idiots that don't know how to process facts from rhetoric. Second, we also have a disengaged or complacent world because that's what we pay in reward. I mean, we have pathetic people that unions protect instead of unions holding them accountable to become valuable. We have pathetic citizens that society protects instead of society saying, no, we're no longer going to tolerate misbehavior. We're no longer going to tolerate certain things. Maybe we don't incarcerate, but if someone's done something bad, stick them in a pink jumpsuit with a 25-pound weighted ball around their ankle. They're not going to run away. Everyone in the community will know that person in the pink suit did something wrong. Give them a bucket of paint and send them to the school grounds. Let them paint all the school ground toys for the kids. Send them to an uh, old folks' home to help them to clean wheelchairs, toilets, beds, and talk to the elderly. Put people involved, and you'll start changing it. But when it's more conducive for someone to go to prison and have free food, free TV, free gym, and free health care, which is a sad, obnoxious statement, that's why people go there. You send someone to jail and put mm-hmm. them on work chain gangs from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and you'll change complacency. We go to a restaurant, we get crappy service, and we still feel compelled to leave a tip. Those are now giving you six answers to why we have a disengaged society and complacent people. But no one's going to say the things I've just said because I've said six very obnoxious things on purpose to get people to think. <laughs> and whenever someone says the loud things today, they're made to be the idiot when, in fact, that's what a leader is about. A leader is someone who stands up and talks about the very things we need to be talking about. It's a wimp. Mm-hmm that does a public opinion poll to find out how to say something and how to message something to make people happy. Now I'll shut up. Are those the answers you're looking for? Um, they were great, and there are a lot of answers, but thank you very much. They're great. Well, then I'd ask you, well, how – I mean, why aren't those things being done? I mean, you know, you know, I agree with you in the complacent area, but why – I mean, we obviously have a problem. We have a lot of different problems. Why aren't so they those, are? They are well, and they are being addressed. Those, so here's the example. Mm-hmm. So they are being addressed, and here's what's sad: every time someone does address them, they individually have a situational success, and then everyone is stunned that they have the success, and so they go, "Oh wow, look at this this pilot school! They're so successful. Their kids are so engaged." Let's make that, in essence, a, a special sort of a school, a magnet school, and give people special vouchers to go to that. Versus saying, "Wait a second, time out." Why aren't all schools like that? There's your answer. All schools should get away. Any kid that's in school, K-12, whose parents are not gainfully employed, their butt should be made to be at that school campus the same amount of hours that the kid is. Be a homeroom mom, a homeroom dad. Be there to be a volunteer teacher and assistant. You help out on the grounds. You police the neighborhood. You make sure that, in essence, thugs aren't coming on that campus. You'll change things around real quickly. Go to some merchant in that community or successful uh, business person. They'll be more than happy to buy uniforms for every kid in that public school. So they all have the same clothing. That way now you don't have one kid that feels like they're poor or rich, they're in or they're out or they're in a gang or not, and now you change it. 
And if you don't understand the academics, your parents and you, the child, sit your butt down and have a tutor and help. And guess what? If your kid is stupid and doesn't get it, we don't pass them to the next baby. We hold them back and help them to get it the next year. Those are examples just with a school. In a community, someone starts a business. They, they, they listen to their employees. They get them passionately involved and engaged. And all of a sudden, they become incredibly successful. And then, boom, some news channel does a big you know, expose on them about this unique business. Well, every business should be that way. The most successful businesses in America don't have unions. There's a news flash. And if they do have a union, the union doesn't have this pathetic mindset of protecting losers. Southwest Airlines, they're a union shop. They have very few labor problems compared to an American Airlines, which is also a union shop. American Airlines takes 11.5 employees, 47 minutes on average to turn a jet. Southwest can turn a jet with three employees on the ground in 13 to 22 minutes. Southwest gets three additional flights per day per jet over other airlines. They don't pay their pilots for how long their butt's sitting in a plane. They pay their pilots for how many flights they can get done in a day. That's why they get three additional flights per day per jet. I mean, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. People have fun. People are compensated well. So I'm not an anti-union person. I'm an anti-person who's against any organization, any politician, any system, any policy, any law that protects a loser. That's why we're in trouble. We now have almost 50-50% in our nation of the number of people that actually work versus the number of people that are on government entitlement programs. And it's projected by 2020 it's going to move to almost 60% of people are going to be on a government handout and 40% of the people paying for it. You know, Margaret Thatcher had a classic line many years ago. The problem with socialism is that you will eventually run out of everyone else's money. And what's happening is that most of America has their head either stuck up their butt or stuck in a pile of sand and are not willing to stand up and say, you know what, enough of this crap. I don't care what your political party is. If my way of life today is worse than it was eight years ago, then your political party doesn't deserve to get voted back in. How can anyone be for Barack Obama in the Democratic Party? Here, let me piss off some other listeners. How can anyone be for them that if what we have right now – now, these are things that, that, that in essence, the, the, the Democratic Convention has just been talking about for, in essence, the past six months. This has been the things that they've been saying, and not one news person has said these statistics are wrong. So I'm going to use Democrat statistics. So in essence, when you have Bernie Sanders saying that African-Americans, 35 years of age and younger, unemployment is at 52%, the highest it's been in 50 years. Hispanic, 35 years of age and younger, unemployment at 34%, the highest it's been in 50 years. Black-on-black crime, the highest it's been, been in essence, it's been recorded for the last 100 years. The black-on-black, in essence, uh, businesses and neighborhoods are out of business going out of business. Education is faltering. Look at Chicago. 500 people have been shot year-to-date as of today while we're doing this recording. Only eight have been shot by police. Yet everyone freaks out and says, all these police are shooting people. Hell, they are not. I mean, those are just some quick statistics. We're now ranked number 32 of all industrialized nations in K-12. 31 nations are smarter than us. I mean, so those are the facts. It's not rhetoric. And so the problem is that people are willing to keep voting for the same people that keep them down versus saying, you know what, I need to go find a, a Green Party, or I need to go find a Libertarian Party, or I need to go find the other party, Republican or Democrat, whatever it is. Then in essence, it's actually willing to get off their butt and go do things. And so that's, that's another way you answer your question. The problem is people are not willing to take a stand. But what they are willing to do is keep perpetuating their nightmare, and this nightmare is getting way, way off track. The recalibration to mm-hmm. getting us righted again is going to be an enormous wake-up call if we don't start doing things in our home, in our neighborhood, in our cities, in our states, in our communities, in the country. So start by looking in the mirror and work your way up. 
So if you're a listener and you yeah. have credentials, you have skills, you have a degree, you have work ethic, you're at willing to go out and work hard every day, you're innovative, you're creative, you're entrepreneurial, then the world is your oyster and you have the ability to be phenomenally successful regardless of age, gender, ethnicity, etc. If you have to use the outside vessel of what your body looks like to be the reason you can't be successful, you're pathetic. You didn't choose to be black, white, male, female, Asian, Indian, or whatever. That's just simply the vessel God put you into. What you have to bring to the table is what's on the inside, not the outside. So what? Someone's going to be racist to you. Get over it. I've been fired for sexual discrimination. I've been downsized because, I mean, I've had all the same crap anyone else has. The difference is are you mm -hmm. willing to get off your butt and make something different out of it, just like you've done. Yeah, you know, you just have to pick that kind of for me. And I, I struggle with depression or a mood or whatever, and I just have to get back up or do it when I'm when I am sad. And that's what I've noticed. I haven't really noticed much in a uh, race car. And I'm Egyptian, born in America, but I've never really noticed anything like that. But to get us back on track just a little bit, because um, I love everything what you've got to say for sure. I could talk to you for hours as I have before, but. Uh, what can we do in, in this environment to make uh, your business successful today? Absolutely great. So I think the things to do immediately to make a business more successful today are the various things that a lot of people don't do. So I would tell people to create an Excel spreadsheet. Down the vertical side of the Excel spreadsheet is every customer you have, and when you ran out of every customer you have, then I'll give you a bonus. Then the other names you add on the vertical column are all the people that are the people that know you the best. Friends, families, neighbors, COIs, VIPs, whatever. Across the top of the Excel spreadsheet horizontally is every deliverable you have to offer. And the fastest way to grow your business is to play Connect the Dot. You start with each name one at a time, go down the vertical list, and until you've talked to every person individually that is doing business with you or that you know that knows what you do, about every single deliverable you have across that top of that Excel spreadsheet, don't worry about going to the next customer. And if you do that with every customer and person that knows you, you talk to 100% of the people that know you about 100% of what you have to offer, and at the end of the day, not only will you significantly be growing your business automatically, then you worry about going and finding new people that don't know you. That's the number one first thing you do to grow your business, and guaranteed, any listeners listening right now, guaranteed anyone who has a business listening to this right now, guaranteed they're not doing what I just taught you. Because in 30 years of doing mm -hmm. sales leadership work, the books, the articles, and the work I've done, I have yet to ever find one organization that truly effectively does that. Now, there are some examples of business in the last couple of years that are really getting it, Zappos, Amazon, et cetera, some businesses like that. But most of them don't do that. And again, your listeners, if they're listening, we have a, a, a digital copy to one of my best-selling books called It, How to Find It, Get It, Keep It, Grow It, Sales Book. If you get a hold of Adam when you're done, he'll get you a copy of that book, and then there's 52 other answers to that question of how to grow your business right now. Fastest way to have business tomorrow morning is what I told you to do right now today. Great. Yeah, we'll, uh, I'll uh, let everyone know how to get to that when we post uh, the show, and we'll mention at the end of the show. Um, Fantastic. What, what, else can you, what else can you do to make the, uh, your business successful? You, you contact all your people. Uh, when you say deliverable, you just mean all the services and products that you provide, right? Absolutely. I think some other ways to grow your business is, again, stop and, and it's a little bit like you talk about, you know, whether you know, you're having a down day. You know, everyone has a down day, a depressed day, what have you. But it's the circle of people you truly interact with. You need to have multiple circles based upon different sides of who you are and different sides of your business. So, again, if I'm a, a solo practitioner, who are the other CEOs that you can talk to and collaborate with? That's one circle of friends and contacts you need to make. And in every business community, there's always some sort of CEO to CEO peer group. 
If you're your solo practitioner and you put your financial hat on your head, who are the other CFOs or, or financial managers of other businesses? That'd be a, maybe a second circle. If you're talking about product development, then again, who are the product development people in your community? What are their associations, groups, clubs? Where do they hang out? So even if you're a solo practitioner, you can just kind of do a, kind of an organizational chart in your head and think, okay, I'm the CEO. What would be all my C-suites? I have a chief legal officer, chief HR officer, chief you know, operating officer, chief you know, marketing officer. So if you think about it from that perspective, that could be different circles of people that you could start to create, collaborate with, network, mentor, benchmark off of, and that will keep you up. But at the same time, then that's also a way for you to start to, to grow your business. Who can you collaborate with? Who has the client list of people that would buy your product, but in essence, you're not competing with them and you'd want to go after them? I remember once speaking at an entrepreneurial conference, and I had a person in the room that was in production, in business, and they built, in essence, um, hooks and toes and jacks and sorts of implements that would go on the back of accessories, that go on the back of boats. And another person in the room, they built tarps and covers and wraps for boats. And it's like, okay, you two guys need to be collaborating because anyone who's buying your product would buy your product and vice versa. And they had no idea they were in the same room. So they're not competing for the same customer to, you know, like, if you buy my whatever, I'm not going to have any money to buy your whatever. No, it's two different things they need. Mm -hmm. But they, the commonality is they both are, both are boat owners. So another way to build your business is to collaborate. Harley-Davidson has been a client of mine for a long time. For years, Harley-Davidson was not in the aftermarket business. So, the, you know, again, it was, it was killing them because I'd have a Harley-Davidson dealership. You'd buy your motorcycle from me, but you'd push it out the door and across the street to a guy that had the aftermarket store over there. And you bought so much crap over there for the bike, you'd end up spending more money over there than you did on my bike. And so for years, because Harley-Davidson was you know, in their own mental way of being, doing business, they were losing business. And then one day they woke up and said, oh, crap, that's a whole industry. So now you walk into most Harley-Davidson dealerships, and as soon as you walk in the front door, you don't even see a motorcycle. You see all the swag and accessories before you ever get to where the mm -hmm. motorcycles are. So, again, partner true, with people, true. build alliances, collaborations where you can email with each other, direct mail with each other. You, know, you can promote in your store. I can promote in my store. We can do you know, events together. You know, we can co-advertise together, all of those sort of things. So those are other beautiful ways to grow and develop a business, especially – if a lot of your, li your listeners are micro-business people, then, again, you've got to take your limited dollars. But if you partner with someone else's limited dollars, the two of you can uh, work some miracles. What do you mean by micro-business? You know, small if I'm business. in Salt Lake City, for example, and I have a small – you know, I've got a, a coffee shop, and I'm not a chain. It's my own little store. Uh, and maybe, you mm -hmm. know, across the street or around the corner is a guy that has a – a breakfast shop or an all-day restaurant and it's just right there in Salt Lake City. You know, I'm not a part of a franchise or anything. And then maybe on the other side of the street is, is a women's clothing or men's clothing boutique or some sort of accessory element. Uh, you know, maybe it, you know, the, around the corner someone who has you know, gifts and knickknacks and sundries and whatever. Well, the five of our stores um, are, are not you know, big enough maybe when we have a, a huge marketing budget line item in our, in our spreadsheet but the five of us together might be able to go in and create a collaborative marketing piece together because guess what? Of our, of our five stores, we probably are attracting the same customer. Their spouse, their kid, or them themselves would be a customer to all five of our stores, so let's connect them together sort of thing. I was, in a, I was in a coffee shop once where they had like a little trifold tent on the table, and what they were promoting was on one of the three sides of the trifold was their coffee shop, on the other side was a dry cleaner, and on the third side was a restaurant, so all three of them. And so I went to the restaurant, he had the trifolds there, and if I went into the dry cleaner, they had the trifold on their counter. So like all three of them were cross-promoting each other to keep the business right there in that little strip center. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> Great. You know, one thing I've I've thought about also is uh, you were talking about the spreadsheet and the deliverables. Uh, you know, putting together the people that are already in your circle, uh, big circle, little circle, down downline, whatever it might be. Uh, the other thought could be is that there could be a deliverable that you're not actually pursuing that you can see to to sell to the people that you're speaking to. Absolutely. So that's that's another. So so one of the models that I have is called Big B I G Business Integration Grid. It's a spinoff of a model developed in 1954 by a Harvard law, uh, business pro, uh, professor, and and everyone's forgotten about it for the past 50 years. And I tripped into it by accident. Basically, what you've just hit is one of the four quadrants of the big model. Someone reaches out to you or I, I'll send them a, an article and an example of it. But the first grid yeah. of where you and I should spend 100% of our time every day first is with what I just explained. 100% of the people you know, make sure they know 100% what you have to offer. The second grid of where you spend your time every day is taking the deliverables you have and putting them in front of other people's names that would buy your product because it makes sense. You already got this product. The third place you spend your time is looking at other deliverables you don't have that you can sell to people that are buying from you because you have a trusted relationship with the people that are buying from you. So that's the one, two, three approach. So from that, absolutely. So you can do surveys of your current customers. You know, what are we not doing for you that you would love for us to be able to provide? That's one way to gather data, see what they want. Someone's doing a transaction with you online or face-to-face, -face, you can always be asking that, you know, what's something that we don't offer you wish you, you could buy? Look at any product you have and say, what's the cross-sell, upsell, or down-sell of this product that would be of interest? So those are some ways you can figure things out. That's what those other products could be, absolutely. Uh, again, another way to generate instant business that while you were talking, another idea popped in my head that I – coach clients on, let's say I had a restaurant, so your listeners have to play with this idea a little bit. If I had a restaurant, I would just take a stack of my own business cards, so now I'm not having to incur any more expense, and I would give a half a dozen to every one of my employees, wait staff, bussers, people in the kitchen, and I'd say, I want you to write your name on the back of this card so it's legible. And you give this card to anyone you know in your circle. You can shoot a picture of this and send it uh, you know, to people on your phone. You can post it on the Internet. I don't even care how virally you, you send it out. Send it to anyone. But anyone that brings this card in with my name on the front and your name on the back, I'll give them a 20% discount on their, on their meal ticket. Or I'll give them free dessert. Or I'll give them you know, buy one drink, get one free or whatever. But you make it an offer to induce people to come in. Second, now what you've done is you've turned everyone that works into you into a marketing agent, and what you tell them is that every time someone brings one of these in, we'll stick it in a big fishbowl here at, you know, on the bar, at the front desk, or in the back on the kitchen counter and back, and at the end of each shift, we'll pull, we'll pull one of these out and I'll give, it, you know, give $50 to someone. We'll pull them out once a week and I'll give a $100 bill to someone. I mean, that is the cheapest, most powerful ROI for, for return on investment for marketing. You do simple little things like that. Sure. I fly Delta Airlines. You're I'm easy. the highest level flyer. I'm a diamond. I got an email last night from Delta with four drink coupons, like I'm going to ever use them because if I'm in first class, these drinks are free. But it would be for that one flight that I'm not in first class or there is no first class cabin. So I'm hitting print on these four coupons to shove them in my, in my briefcase. But, see, I could give them to someone else as well. Same concept. So you can do what a billion-dollar company does. Your listeners can do if they're a micro business. Sure. That sounds good. And if you need a place to send those drink coupons, P.O. Box 9500. <laughs> Good man, I love you. <laughs> well, you know, well, that's great, Jeff. We just have a couple minutes left. Can you tell us about your new book? Yes, my newest book is called Your Trajectory Code. Your Trajectory Code. You can uh, see a, a clip about it on my website, which is jeffreymcgee.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-M-A-G-E-E, jeffreymcgee.com. You can buy it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble online or in your store. 
Uh, but Your Trajectory Code is the only personal development book I've written in 25 years. I've got 23 books, four bestsellers, four college textbooks. Out of all my business work, there's a model that is called the Trajectory Code. And it helps you identify everything you do, every word you say, story you share, action, decision, etc. And it gives you a way to mentally and physically plot it out in your head to recognize if I do this and I extrapolate forward, will it take me towards derailment or success? And it gives you the ability to make these little what I call 1% calibrations or 1% recalibrations, which is what I've learned to be the secret to success of every successful person I've ever studied in my life, past and to present, is that these people live in the 1% zone. They know how to make a 1% calibration adjustment to accelerate success 24-7. And that's what the book is all about. And there's 15 chapters, 15 lesson plans. Chapters are very short, quick, easy to read. At the end of each chapter are three application questions of how you can apply it to your life. Take it out, apply it for a couple of days, come back, read the next chapter, and keep going. It is a very powerful model. I use it with my billion-dollar clients, and I use it with my solo entrepreneurs. Great, great, wonderful. How many books have you written, Jeff? 23 books. My 24th came out last week. Uh, so 23 books translated into 21 different languages. As I said, I've had four um, graduate management textbooks all become bestsellers. And of those 23, I've had five, uh, five of my trade books with John Wiley and McGraw-Hill become bestsellers. So uh, love to write, and that's back to your comment at the beginning of the show. When you, when you are a subject matter expert at what you do, whether it's riding a dirt bike or blowing glass, when you're an SME on that topic, you're able to then share it in lots of ways. And for me in my industry, as a performance coach, uh, writing articles, blogs, tips, and books in uh, our magazine, Professional Performance Magazine. Check that out as well. It's all about getting great. Uh, powerful content to people. Thank, thank you very much, Jeff. Thanks for being on today. Really appreciate you and uh, to, all the, to all the time we have today. Thanks for being on. Remember to send me those thank great you. coupons. <laughs> and... Uh, Make sure you guys listen to our show tomorrow. We'll have uh, Bert Martinez on, and we'll be talking about some sales techniques to increase your sales. And catch you guys later. Thanks. Bye.